That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we're talking about an immigration nightmare, a new season of a capital V, capital G, very good anime, a saccharine, but gay, Christmas movie, and an art house porn thriller. (laughs) Just running the gamut here. Again, every week I love the range of the shit that we watch. It's absolutely incredible. Okay, but Terry, what is this immigration nightmare? Okay, so we we recently just had uh, Megan Navarro on, and we were talking to her about some of the movies that maybe uh, people might have missed this year, and that could potentially make on you know make it on a list or that are really good. And I realized when she was talking about this one that I hadn't seen it, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to be doing my you know, best of for the podcast and I want to make sure I watch it. So I watched No One Gets Out Alive. Oh, cool. Which on Netflix? It's on Netflix, yes. It's currently streaming on Netflix. Um, which spoiler is not gonna make my top ten, but it's really good. I I actually really cool. enjoyed it. So it is about an immigrant in search of the American dream who, after being forced to take a room in a boarding house, finds herself in a nightmare she can't escape. And it kind of, in that way, kind of reminded me of last year's, what was His house? Yes. Okay. So it reminded me of his house from last year, uh, in that it's about a, kind of an immigrant experience and the way that, that uh, the less fortunate and those who are disenfranchised can get taken advantage of. Um, and so she gets this, she gets this room in this house that is just only women, no men allowed. Um, it's run by dude mark menchaca okay um who Ooh, nothing weird about that all woman's house run by a guy uh-huh and men and mark menchaca has turned in some really kind of creepy performances he's he was in he was in ozark i think he might still be in ozark i'm not sure and he was in the outsider he was one of the villains in the outsider oh and he was also the bad guy in alone 
Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Ooh. Yeah, so like... like he's, a, he's creepy. He, and he plays creepy characters. And so the moment I saw him, I was like, oh, girl, you in trouble. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing good happening there. <laughs> you, in, you in danger, girl. <laughs> you in danger, girl. Uh, so yeah, so she takes this, she takes this room and while she's, while she's there, she like hears noises in the vent below her and she can peer into the vent below her because it's like an old house and she sees this young, um, Russian woman in there that's, that's crying. There are things that are like, we're seeing out of the corner of our, of like behind her and stuff of like these weird ghostly figures with the sort of, um, haunting of Bly Manor eyes, like just. They look like either those oh. eyes or like, actually, probably more specifically, they remind me of the eyes of the vampires in Salem's Lot. That kind oh. of glinty. Oh, has like like the um, you get the eye glint mm-hmm. like a, like an animal. Yeah, and so they're like we we're, uh, you start to see them it pop up behind the scenes, and there's this room into the there's a basement that is locked completely and utterly locked with like multiple locks. And he's like saying that, you know, that's a private area. And then he starts talking about how his brother is, is sick because she sees this man walking through the, the the house at one point, just like knocking on the doors. She's finding like ash left over on people's doors, like handprints and stuff. It's just all these like weird little things. But she has no money and she has no one to turn to. And uh, she has a family, but she lied to them to, and said that she does have a, uh, an ID, but she doesn't. And so she has like, she, at one point she tries to, uh, enlist the aid of someone that she works with that doesn't go right. She just is at her wits end. She has absolutely nowhere to turn to. And so she's stuck there. And so there's that aspect of it. That's really good. There's also a supernatural aspect that kind of reminded me and it, Megan Navarro brought this up too, I believe when she was on of the ritual, the places that it goes, Reminds me a little bit of how the ritual kind of unwinds towards the end to not be spoilery. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. It's a tight um, 85 minutes. um, And I definitely think you should watch it. It just won't it won't be in my top 10, but it's really good. Cool. Awesome. I've heard good things. Yeah. So. Oh, and it's also speaking of the ritual. It's based on a novel by Adam Neville. Neville? Neville. That man is one of my favorite writers. Mm hmm. One of his books, The Reddening, is one of my all-time favorite books. I have that book. I so, need to read it. It's so good. It's a great it's just cover. Like, yeah, he's incredible with like full core. Mm-hmm. I know that this isn't necessarily full core, mm. but The Reddening and The Ritual, The Ritual is full core, mm-hmm. and a lot of his short stories are full core. So there's an aspect incredible. of of full core here where um, oh cool, okay. it opens up with like this these almost found footage esque shots of people excavating some kind of ruins and finding this big box in there. And so there's like some aspect, there's some aspect of that that kind of continues through. So yes, I definitely think there, this could be classified as it definitely has that kind of element of full core to it, even though it's not set in like the woods or anything like that. But yeah, so that's no one gets out alive, which is streaming on Netflix. And I recommend uh, but what about this new season of a very good anime? Capital G, capital G. Okay. 
I think I've talked about this anime before, but Demon Slayer, which oh, yeah. is like an incredibly popular anime. The new season is out, and it, the first episode came out on Sunday, and I'm very excited because where's it streaming? Waiting a year. It is streaming on uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll, mm-hmm. but it is the new season after the movie that came out last year, mm-hmm. which had this like it's an incredibly like incredible movie, and we're finally back in the world of Demon Slayer, which I believe you talked about and- on the podcast too. I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train was the movie, and they did an arc of the show, like an, a season or a season of the show that was based on that movie. So, like that arc, and now they are back with a new arc, and I'm so excited. I've been missing my boy, my my Demon Slayer boys for the past year, but this is the um, it's called the Entertainment District arc, which is very exciting because a lot of the show takes place like in. Like smaller villages and in the woods, and now they're going into a city. This takes place in uh, in the ta- the Taisho era of Japan, which takes place um, between 1912 and 1926. So this is a show that kind of takes place in the in the 20s in Japan. So oh, there's okay. it's like there's a it's a city, but it's not like modern day. So it's kind of a cool kind of like a historical twist to it. But the first episode came out on Sunday, and it's very sad because one of these characters died, and it's all about like the mourning process of these mm. characters. And it's like really, ing- it's incredible how this show is both like really scary and really good at making these incredible demon fights, but also is very emotional. Like you're very connected to the characters, and so I'm very excited because it's now like they're fighting even bigger demons in the city, and like the big bad guy is like more of a thing in this season, which I'm very excited about, mm. and. I just love the character design and the demon design, and I'm just, like, over the moon. It's a weekly... All of the shows I'm watching now are weekly releases, which is so fucking (laughs) annoying. Like, why am I back to the, like, mid-2000s with what I'm watching? I'm like, damn it! Fuck! I just want it all right now. But, you know... It's it's it is nice to have something to look forward to every week. But so that is that is on Crunchyroll and Funimation. So all of you Demon Slayer fans, it's out. And if you haven't watched Demon Slayer, I highly recommend. Like this is a great anime for people who might not be super into anime or like wanting to kind of get into anime. This one I think is pretty accessible. Okay. I think it's got a good kind of like mix of like action but also sweet characterization it's not like if if some parts of anime the fan service make you uncomfortable there isn't a lot of that in this the characters are just like really wholesome and sweet and but there's also some really great like fucked up things going on so it's got a good mix of like horror and wholesome okay so i think that if you like anime or if you're like interested in anime this is a good one to kind of like dip your toes into because it's like it's also like hugely popular in japan like mm-hmm. one of the most popular like <laughs> series of all time but it's, it's it is an incredible piece of animation so i highly recommend it so i do have a question do you listen do you watch it with uh the um japanese voiceovers or the oh, yeah i watch it with um with subs okay. so i watch it with the original J- japanese because um, i just noticed that um someone i'm familiar with a little bit zach aguilar uh voices Ta- tanjiro oh tanjiro the uh, main tanjiro, guy um in the the american uh or the the english dub of it and he oh, cool he plays um a, he plays the main character in near replicant um, the new the oh. remake of the new replicant games, and he's like, oh cool, he's he's like he's in, he's in Get Genshin Impact, which is a big video game mm-hmm. that's out right now. So he like he does a lot of oh he also did Final Fantasy remake. He did voices in that. Oh. So he's kind of a he's a good actor. Cool. 
Yeah, I usually watch... I usually watch my anime in the original Japanese. Not always, though. I mean, like, I think... Like, there's some I don't, but I usually watch it in Japanese Mm -hmm. with the subtitles. So I don't know what it sounds like with with his voice, but I bet it's great. And good for him. That's a big fucking series. And, like, he's the main character. That's a big series to have your name behind. Yeah. Cool. But, yeah, so that's what I've been watching. I haven't been watching a lot, but that was something I was very excited for. But what is this saccharine and gay Christmas movie? I love to hear about this. Okay, so this is not horror (laughs) at all, but... That's okay. uh, I... Okay. I don't really like Christmas movies. I don't like, I don't know, any of those sort of like saccharin type films. I just, it doesn't do it for me. I, I, I also hate that I can like, I know what the plot is going to be before I even start watching the movie, you know? And yet (laughs) I sat down to watch the new Netflix movie single all the way. (laughs) They love the name. (laughs) Which has Michael Yuri in it, who I love. He was in Ugly Betty. Um, he's oh, been, he's a cutie. He is a cutie. Uh, he was in Ugly Betty. He has been in um, a bunch of like independent comedies. Uh, he he also has like a recurring, a small but recurring character in Younger. Oh, he was in Swan Song. He was in Swan Song. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he was. Um, but I love him. I think he's adorable. He's openly gay. He's he was like one of the the things that like I loved watching Ugly Betty because he was. I kind of playing like the kind of typical snippy, you know, fashion gay uh, assistant. But like it was representation at a time when you didn't get much representation. And I just I loved I love seeing him in that. So it's him in it. And the idea is that he has been living in L.A. and he has to go home to his family for Christmas in like the East Coast and some snowy quaint picturesque magical town the kind that you see in christmas movies and is every snowflake perfectly placed oh it's perfectly placed everything is just absolutely (laughs) it's it's a small enough that town that like it it feels quaint and rustic but it's also progressive and that there's no homophobia at least in the movie who knows but yeah so like he's going home for the first time and he has a man and this is the first time that he's had a man for christmas And then he lives with his best friend and right before he's about to go out of town, his best friend discovers that his boy, that, that Michael Yuri's, his name's Peter, that Peter's boyfriend is married to a woman and has been seeing him on the, on the DL. And so they break up and now he's going to go home again, single. And so he begs his best friend to come with him. And when he gets there, he's like, yeah, you're, so you're going to pretend that we're, that we're dating. And he gets there, but before they can even pretend his mom played by Kathy Najimy. Oh my God. Yay. Has set him up with a hunk of a man who teaches spin class. And, so he is starting to date this man. But of course, everyone in the family knows that he, that Peter and his best friend are a match made in heaven. And so they are working behind Kathy Najimi as his mom's back to try to get him and his best friend to hook up. Barry Bostwick is his father. Uh, our queen, Jennifer Coolidge, is his aunt. This sounds incredible. Like, like, like a cheesy Christmas movie that I love. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's nothing it surprising. Like there's nothing surprising in this. Oh, they totally get together at the end, right? They kiss. Oh, of course. And the snow? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's how it always ends. And yet, I still love that shit. 
I don't care. It's incredible. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I, I was both annoyed <laughs> while watching it, but also secretly, like, happy because this is, like, a huge cast of well-known people. Oh, and um, what's your bucket from... Shit's Creek is in it as as the his other aunt, um, jo- Jocelyn, Jocelyn Shit. <gasps> oh, I love that their last name is Shit. Every time it just makes me giggle. Oh, Jennifer Robertson. Yeah, she's in it too. So yeah, it's just Wait, like I love that Netflix put out like a big cast gay Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And it looks it it's beautifully shot. It's 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 a very expensive looking film, and it's gay. And I loved it. I love that aspect of it. I've was annoyed at some parts of it but you know if you're looking for some kind of happiness that's queer for the winter time this is a good bet but one of the things that got me thinking about this and i'm glad that we're ending with this because this is a good segue is that um jennifer coolidge at one point is like doing the jennifer coolidge thing where she's just talking and you're not quite sure if it's ad-libbing or if she's like actually saying lines from from the script because it almost seems like it's coming out like she's plucking these words from the ether. But she talks about how how the gays are um, they're survivors and they just know how to do shit because they've had to survive this entire time. And I started thinking about that in particular as we sat down to watch this week's erotic thriller, because I don't think cruising is as big of a thing anymore. And I'm curious if it is, because with the invention of apps and the invention of all that kind of stuff. I'm curious. I don't know. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if cruising or the, the events kind of portrayed in this movie that we're about to talk about happen as much anymore. And I'm wondering if the younger generation even knows what cruising is. That was what I was going to ask. Like, I feel like cruising is not really a thing anymore. Like I, not that I don't, this is like only like my, like what I've seen. It just feels like cruising is not, a thing because there's sa- like safer and scare quotes ways to hook up now with mm-hmm. the apps and dating sites and stuff and it feels like a much again quote unquote safer way to meet people mm-hmm. so for those that so younger listeners if, if you don't know cruising is what um a lot of gay men did before the invention of apps where there were places that they would go where it was and again i'm using this term loosely safe because you wouldn't have to worry about other people that were not queer because one of the things about about cruising was that you had to like learn how to intuit that someone might be interested in you, but you're also trying to not show that you're gay. And so there is that aspect of it where it's like you're, you're you they have like that the hanky code started like years ago where mm-hmm. depending on what side of your pants, but there's it, the hanky was in and the color of it meant you were down for different things. There's all these kinds of things that the gay men had to do because they couldn't just walk up to someone like straight people could and commence a conversation or go and have sex or hook up or any of that kind of stuff because it was dangerous. And so they created these places where it was quote unquote safe to do so. And so we're talking about the movie stranger by the lake, which is all about cruising at this cruising by the lake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Not that I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure. I feel like there are clubs probably where cruising is a little bit more (laughs) common, but like, I don't really know of any places around here. It's like, I mean, I am, I'm a a woman, so I don't know if Mm -hmm. I would necessarily know about cruising locations around here, but yeah, I don't really hear about it that that often. No. And you know, I was, I, so I had Googled before we had, before we recorded, I'd, Googled and I did find this article on Slate 
debate that um, I think we can probably include here where um, it was like this whole thing about cruising, about the art of cruising and about how um, Grindr sees like 3.6 million daily active users and how like there's it's it's almost like a for lack of a better word an art form that's sort of lost yeah yeah and about how like it was kind of sort of like taught and handed down from generations of queer men because this this guy in this in this article is talking about the closest thing that he had to a gay parent was his relationship with his friend chip who taught me many life lesson list lessons he was 63 and had been out since the early 70s when he was 15. And so he like was talking about how, you know, back then homosexuality was decriminalized in 1969 and there were gay bars in the city, but he was too intimidated to go to them. And so you had to like, you had to also worry that police were keeping tabs on the places and were going to potentially arrest people. So it was yeah. like this kind of inner conversation that would happen to entice people to, to show that you're interested to like into it, that they're interested and then to go hook up. And so I, I think it's, it's interesting to watch this movie now in 2021 because this came out in 2013 and I'm not that sure long ago. Yeah. And I'm not sure when it was set when, when stranger by the lake is set. Cause it seems sort yeah. of like out of time. You don't see anyone use cell phones. You don't mm-hmm. see anyone do any of that sort of technology thing. So I'm, I'm, I don't and know. The clothing is like pretty like generic. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have like a specific period time or feel to it. Like it feels like it could be from the seventies or 2010. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's got, and it all takes place at the lake. Mm-hmm. Like it's only on the lake. Never leaves. And the like lake. you said, with cruising and this movie, they both communicate with this language of like a really interesting language of desire, and like all done not almost completely non-verbally at first. Like it's a non-verbal communication language of desire, which is really cool to see on screen with this film that is about gay sex, about gay like just gay relationships, directed by a gay man. Um, I'm not sure if the performers are gay, but it's just like it's just so very gay and it's so very good. Mm-hmm. You had never seen this before either, had you? No, I hadn't. Neither had I. It is an incredible erotic thriller because I feel like a lot of the erotic thrillers we watch are very dramatic. Like there's a lot of like quick cuts and mute and like an incredible score and like just building the tension. This movie has no score. No score. It's very, it's not slow, but like it's very, like the editing is not, it's not, there's not a lot of like crazy editing. There's a lot of like long shot, like long shots of someone watching somebody. Mm -hmm. And it feels more, the way I was thinking about it, like in the and then the really intense moments where there isn't a lot of score and crazy editing, it felt like this is like what it means to hide from somebody. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you don't have music, you don't have the drama. Like this is just what it feels like to be a person like hiding from somebody. And it's 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 terrifying, mm-hmm. really. Like in a in a way that I wasn't expecting. No, it's a. I think it's a very quietly unsettling and terrifying movie because the the whole the whole plot is that we're following. Yes, uh, I'm saying. Wait, hold on. I didn't even say what this movie is actually about <laughs> yet. Oops. <laughs> I didn't either. So we're following this man named Frank Frank, who Frank. who goes to this lake every summer. And it's kind of charting out his his time. We see him like it, it has like a, cir- a circuitous feel to it where his mm-hmm. car pulls up. He goes out there. He sees friends. He you know, he he has relationships with people that aren't just barely based on sex. He goes over to someone that he knows and kisses them on the cheek. He goes and sits down next to poor old Henri, who I have a lot of feelings wanna, about. I just Henri. I can't. <laughs> One night he. And he's like, there's this guy that he's had his eye on and who's like incredibly hot and he's a swimmer. And one night when he stays late, he sees uh, this man potentially drowning someone and then leaving the lake. 
and he doesn't do anything about it. And then the body turns up later and it's obvious that he is dealing with someone who is dangerous for him, but it doesn't stop his attraction. What did you think of the movie? I loved it. I thought it was incredible the way it used silence Mm. and how it is very kind of quiet and calculated, even Mm -hmm. though it's a very intense subject. I think it works in gay sexual desire incredibly well. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the best movie I've seen about gay sex and gay desire. And like the way, and it's all, this movie is so much about looking and watching. There's so many moments, like, you know, when Franck is watching Michelle, the the guy he's in love with, drowning the, drowning the the other guy, you're watching it from Franck's point of view, like far away. Mm -hmm. So you're just seeing their heads kind of bobbing up and down on the water. And there's a lot of moments when Franck gets to the beach and walks to the beach and everyone kind of turns their head to kind of look at who's there and Mm -hmm. like kind of show their interest. And there's a lot of really cool stuff playing with gazes and looking that I really, it's like, it's just a fascinating way of just like, desire is not just like sex. But desire isn't a look. Desire is in, like, how you sit next to somebody. And I think that this movie just really kind of plays with that a lot really well, especially in erotic thrillers, when, like, desire... I mean, there is a lot of sex in this movie. Like, let's be... Like, oh. I'm, I will I will say. We'll get to that in a second. But, like, there is, like, really interesting ways that the director, Alain Girardet... I am so sorry to all the French people out there. Like, plays with desire. And especially between Henri and Franck, because Henri is this, like middle-aged bisexual guy hell yeah bisexual representation in this movie guy who sits by himself on the beach and is kind of like trying to figure out what he wants but isn't quite sure and the way he communicates his desires is through these conversations and just like time together and it's just like this really cool way of how all of this is kind of put together into this like really sad dramatic package but i also love how fucking pornographic this movie <laughs> is because there is a lot of unsimulated sex in this movie mm-hmm. like at one point you see a guy just ha- coming and i was like whoa yeah whoa yeah and like, unlike adam scott in in our favorite uh little episode that we <laughs> talked about this 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 wasn't no um toy that was spurting white stuff this was um this was a this was a man having an orgasm mm-hmm. on camera mm-hmm. and this like okay i have not seen a lot of movies that have like explicit gay sex in them besides like guys having like getting like getting having sex from behind basically you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's like i feel like there's like a very typical way you see men having sex on screen and this movie is like no actually like two men having sex is 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 anything you want it to be and Mm -hmm. like different positions and they do that in this movie and it's just like really hot and just done incredibly well in terms of like look like gay guys can have sex like it's not this one singular way mm-hmm. of thinking about sex that I thought was also great in the way that, like, they used to pick the sex scene, which is, like, incredible. Like, a very long sex scene that was like, holy shit, <laughs> this is porn. Yeah. This is pornography. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. What about you? What did you think of this movie? Uh, I thought this movie, it made me really sad. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, because of Henri. Um, I love the character yeah. of Henri, where, like, he, as you said, he's he's bisexual. He's he's figuring things out. You can kind of see that he 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 talks to Franck, and he sits away from everyone. He sits on, interestingly enough, he sits on a rocky side of the beach, as opposed to, like, the more sand where everyone mm-hmm. is nude. He sits on, on the, the rocks, and... 
he has an interesting progression through this movie where he seems really closed and Frank goes up to him and they start chatting and they have a, they have a friendship that, that evolves throughout this movie. And as the movie progresses, you see Henri sort of opening up a bit to the point where he's at some point, cause he's no, he's an overweight man in a, in a, on a beach full of very trim, very physically fit people. And at one point in the movie, he's no longer wearing his shirt. So he is like, there's like these slight, subtle visual representations that he is opening himself up to Frank and their friendship. And I just thought it was very beautiful the way it was. And I thought it was very sad because, uh, spoiler alert, jump ahead if you haven't watched this movie. Um, he dies, but he kind of sacrifices himself to prove to Frank that his man that he's been fucking is not a good guy. And the, the reason behind why he does it, like it doesn't spell it out, but the reason why is almost like he, he's a very, he he comes across a very sad and he comes across as sort of like this man that has, is looking back wistfully on things that could have possibly happened. And he sees, I think in Frank, someone who is looking forward and he doesn't want him to get fucked up. And so he sort of sacrifices himself in a movie way. Like, I don't think people are going to really do this in real life, but in the, in the, in the logic of the movie, it makes sense that he, is basically sacrificing his body, giving into temptation in a way and allowing Frank to see that this man is not good. And it was, it's devastating to see. Well, and especially after he like confesses his love for Frank and Mm -hmm. that like sort of like in a very kind of like, so subtle, I think I'm falling in love with you or like I get so excited. It it doesn't even say that he's like, I feel the way I feel like when I'm falling in love, when I'm around you, I don't want to fuck you. I want to talk to you Mm -hmm. and I want to be around you. And it's like, Frank, Frank started the conversation with Henri. Like Mm -hmm. he's the one that sat next to him and like kind of decided to cultivate this relationship. So obviously Frank is like, has a, is a good person, you know, like he's like not necessarily scared of this guy or like Mm -hmm. weirded out. He's like, Hey, what's up? And they're, I, I loved their relationship. And I, when, when it happened at the end, I would, I literally went, (gasps) I like gasped really loud. I was so upset. And like, I kind of saw the writing on the wall a little bit Mm -hmm. with that as the film progressed, but I was really mad about it. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, why can't it be happily ever after obviously that's very naive of me but I was like but I want him and Henri to like love each other and live a nice happy life and cook food for one another mm, I know and go to dinners and stuff that we don't get to see go to dinners and get one. <laughs> I know but the, yeah. so the other thing so there's two things that this movie does incredibly well uh, one thing is this idea of trust and it's sort of what I was thinking about in terms of coming into this especially from from uh, Jennifer Coolidge's in the, in the last movie we talked about survivors this idea mm-hmm. of trust and this idea that yeah. the cruising is a, is a quote-unquote safe space because because at one point, when 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 Frank is first talking with Henri, he says, "Hey, can I can you watch my stuff?" Because he's going to go after and try to find Michelle in the in the in the sex zone, for lack of a better word. <laughs> and and Henri is like, "You trust everyone like zone. that?" <laughs> and Henri is like, "You trust everyone like that?" Like you're just leaving, leaving your stuff here in front of someone that you just met. And then this idea of that that implicit trust between uh queer people comes up again where uh the the one guy is like gonna have sex with him he's like do you have a condom and he's like no i don't and so there's there's that aspect of it where it's like he just was gonna have sex trusting the other guy that he was safe or that he didn't have any diseases or any of that kind of stuff and 
that there's that aspect of it. And then there's this quiet man, Michelle sort of circling in like a shark as sort of a metaphor for the danger that's lurking in this kind of uh, unfortunate behavior where it's like someone could be coming in at any moment and not have the great motives that you do. Well, and there was an interesting like thought to me about Frank with like naivete. And I know that's not necessarily mm-hmm. like everybody, but like especially when the guy was like, You're not gonna use a condom like, yeah. even to give me a blowjob. And again, like we don't know what time period this mm-hmm. is. So like, you know, without that context, you're like, is this in the middle of like when the AIDS epidemic was really high and mm-hmm. people were concerned about that stuff? And like again, in general, we all know like usually when you're having sex with somebody for the first time they don't really know you know, protection is generally a, a good idea. Like, you mm-hmm. don't know. But, you know, he, he with the, his this partner and then with Michelle is very trusting about like, oh, you don't have diseases. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't lie to me. Which is so fast. Like, it's such a... Fascinating about like the trust that he has in his own community mm-hmm. and like how that's weaponized against him by Michelle and like Michelle weaponizing that trust like oh queer people wouldn't betray another queer person like we are all kind of in this ostracized community together why would we do that to each other like why would we fuck each other over we're all we have and Michelle weaponizes that Mm -hmm. and and that's terrifying yeah the other thing that made me really sad the other thing that really stuck out to me and it's it's such a fantastic visual motif is again with that circuitous shot of Frank coming in every day to like drive in with his car. There's the red car that is sitting there and the red car belongs to the guy that was drowned. And so it's like, he sees that car when he leaves that night after he saw uh, Michelle murder drown the guy, when he leaves, that's the only car in the parking lot. When he shows up the next day, it's there. When he shows up the next time it's there and he shows up and no one is noticing. No one says anything. It's never even brought up. No one's like, hey, whose car is that? It's been here. No one talks about it. It's just there. And it's really, that's really sad. Well, and the inspector brings that up. So there's an inspector, when they discover the body, an inspector starts coming to the beach to be like, what, who did, basically, who the fuck did this? And he, you know, between questioning, every immediately Michelle and Frank are like zeroed in on. Mm-hmm. And he, the inspector corners Frank by himself and is like, you don't even give a shit about this guy yeah. who died here, one of your own. You don't even care, even for yourself. Like, this could be a homophobic serial killer. And, like, mm-hmm. you don't give a shit. And Frank just sits there silently for, like, a half a second and like, gets choked up of, like, really, like, absorbing in, like, kind of kind of the selfishness, though, of what they're doing a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, everyone, again, it's a, you know, it's a queer community, like, the gay community, but they aren't really looking out for each other. Like, it yeah. is, like, very much, like, motivated for what they want. But Henri kind of represents a little bit different there of, like, mm-hmm. a different perspective on that, but it's, like, these younger people are, like, don't care about anything other than, like, having sex and just, like, leaving on their own merry way. So there's, like, an interesting kind of commentary on, like, a selfishness of what they're doing as mm-hmm. well. And, like, I... And in no way is it like a criticism of it. I just no. think like this movie is like very subtly complicating, like mm-hmm. like really investigating this concept of cruising and desire and like what it means to have this to have like to hook up in this kind of in this way. And it's really fascinating, like how in depth it goes in such subtle ways in terms of like looking at gay hookup culture. Yeah, and thinking about it. Such a good it's movie. Good. It's really good. It's sad. It is really like it's like it just kind of weighs on you. Mm-hmm. It's like it's heavy. It's not as sensational as a lot of the uh, um, erotic thrillers we've watched. It's more low key. It definitely feels art housey. It definitely feels like 
a French art house film, but like, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot to think about and a lot to digest about it. And I think that's, I think it's fascinating. I think it's really good. God, the ending like sequence when he's just yelling Michelle's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's incredible. So everyone, please check it out. It's really More good. gay erotic thrillers. <laughs> Yes, please. Well, more erotic thrillers in general, but, like, good lord, this one is erotic. Oh, and everyone just, like, naked a lot, too. Like, mm-hmm. not even sexually. Just, like, a lot of people just, like, put their dicks out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just a lot of a lot of penis. A lot of penis. A lot of penis. So. Here for it. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't mad about it. <laughs> okay, so for next little cuts... <laughs> <laughs> what are we watching, Mary Beth? So for next little cuts, we are going with Steven Soderbergh's narrative feature film debut, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which I'm very excited to see. I have never seen it. Me neither. And I'm very excited to watch it. Uh, I remember Get seeing that VHS cover at the local uh, blockbuster or whatever and being always so interested in it because it's such an evocative title, especially when you're like, you know. A teenager, and it's like, ooh. And you say sex. <laughs> There's ooh. sex on it. Like, it is telling it's you. Point blank, it is sex. <laughs> I'm very excited to watch it, though. Me too. Um, it's been on the watch list forever, so finally going to get an opportunity to watch it. But then, Terry, who are we chatting with ooh. on Monday? Oh, boy. Uh, speaking of sad, <laughs> we are... Not the not the conversation, but what, what, what we're talking about. <laughs> We are chatting with writer-director Camille Griffin, and her debut feature film, Silent Night, is the feel-bad Christmas movie of the year. It's a satire of posh British culture, a satire of the kind of Christmas movies that I watched, except sort of like the the British, more elegant, snooty versions of it. Uh, It's it's a wild movie. I think it's divisive, but um, it's really good and it is currently streaming on VOD as of today, I believe, when this episode goes out. Uh, and she brought with her a movie that, I don't know about you, Mary Beth, but destroyed me. The animated film When the Wind Blows from 1986. Nuclear Holocaust, y'all. It's as nuclear an animated Holocaust. movie. Yeah, think like Grave of the Fireflies or Barefoot again, but with cute little old British people in the style that looks like a storybook. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, it is streaming on Tubi. It is. So uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Watch it. It's a beautiful it's, movie. It's, it's, it's but... incredible movie, but it's just gonna make you feel like shit afterward. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Like, if you're going to watch it, like, get ready to watch something else afterward to, like, lift your spirits. Like, have, like, a self-care plan. Because, boy, oh, boy, it's a, it's a rough one. It is And we have a really rough. good talk with Camille about how it, how... A lot like her movie and this movie actually really play off of each other. Mm-hmm. So it's a great conversation and she is hilarious. Oh, she so. is really funny. She is a, a hoot. Um, so listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for films we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, please give us a review and a rating and make sure you're subscribed if you listen to us on iTunes. Please do. Thank you, Eric Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. 
powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.